Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Created for those committed to mastery and success. Coming to you from Manly, Australia, we break down the science and philosophy of optimal performance so you can unleash your potential. Welcome to the Flow State Real Podcast. This is your host, Jiro Taylor, and today I'm having a conversation with Danny Flood. Danny is a best-selling author. He's an entrepreneur. He's a traveler, an adventurer. He's originally from California, but today I'm speaking to him from a... He's in Starbucks. He's in Bangkok, Thailand, uh, living the the life of a modern-day digital nomad. Um, so on this uh, conversation, we get real deep into areas of peak performance, kind of alternative areas of peak performance. Danny's an awesome guy. Like We've got many things in common. He likes to experiment um, with... With, with things to, to find out how he can perform at, at, at heightened states. So um, sleep patterns, um, how to set up your day so that you're doing the certain task for an optimal time of day for that task, uh, flow states, the power of adventure. These are some of the th- things that we get into during this 45-minute chat. So uh, buckle up and enjoy and let it flow. Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. This is your host, Jero Taylor, and this week I am with Danny Flood. Danny, where are you? Hey, Jero. Good to be here, man. I'm calling in from Thailand. I'm at a Starbucks. Uh, so I apologize for if there's any background noise here, but um, ready to, to fire this one up. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Awesome, brother. So talk to me. Why, why do you find yourself in a Starbucks in Bangkok in Thailand? Like, Give, give us some background to your life situation. <laughs> well, I guess you could just say I've been really nomadic um, since, I don't know, five last five, six years, and um, I've always just been moving around a lot, and it's actually quite funny. I, I, was, I just moved out of my place yesterday, and um, I'm just kind of back uh, embracing the unknown where I don't know where I'm going to be, you know, in a month from now or where I'm going to be living, but uh, I'm not really afraid of that unknown element anymore. I kind of just... Um, it's almost like a friend because, you know, if, if I just am open to opportunities, then great things continue to happen. And, um, you know, last night I, I checked into a hostel and it turns out one of my, my best mates was actually staying in the same hostel. Uh, just completely by surprise. We just totally, you know, serendipitous moment. We just ran into each other, had a great time. And uh, he's another entrepreneur. He's a really smart guy. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have been able to connect with him, for example, if I was still in my, my condo, if I hadn't been in my condo yesterday. So... Yeah, I'm so fascinated by that <laughs> serendipity that goes on. So I've just spent three weeks in Hawaii, and um, I basically booked uh, my flight, and then I didn't, I didn't book, any, I didn't plan anything else. I didn't book any accommodation. I just wanted to see where the wind blew me. And yeah, like you're saying, all sorts of doors started opening, opportunities presented themselves, and um, I'm fascinated by this. I mean, what, what, why does, why does this happen, Danny? I think you just need to have faith and you have to realize that um, luck is when your preparation meets opportunity. And, um, you know, part of being prepared is, is being receptive to those opportunities, you know, allowing them to come to you, um, you know, being in the right state of mind where uh, you've worked on yourself, you've disciplined your mind enough so that you can appreciate things as they come to you. And, and they do come. And if, and if you can, you know, act on them when they come, I mean, excellent, amazing things can happen in your life. They've been happening in my life for the last uh, several years, and I, I can almost believe, can almost not believe that they, excuse me, 
I almost can't believe that they've been happening like this. So, <laughs> yeah, man. But as they keep on happening, I think that people like you and I absorb them, and it enables us to set our life up for more awesome things to keep happening. Do you do you do you find that to be true? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm always trying to improve upon the past and do better tomorrow than I did yesterday. Um, so whenever I achieve like some big goal, you know, I want to make sure the next goal is like a little bit higher. Um, you know, not like so out of reach that it just, it backfires, but I just want to, um, I want to keep pushing that limit, you know? And I, I noticed that you said once that, um, you have to challenge yourself by, I think you said about 4%. Is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the flow state gurus out there said that to be in a state of flow, you have to be operating at 4% beyond your comfort level. Right. And uh, there's a guy, David Dida, he wrote a book, The Way of the Superior Man, uh, several years back. And um, the way he, he says it is you have to lean just beyond your edge. Uh, so, you know, don't don't stay in your bubble too much, but, you know, just, just do a little bit each day. And um, I find that to be true, you know. I just, I believe that you have to err on the side of action. If someone invites you to do something, just say yes, you know. And, um, of course, that apprehension is going to be tugging at you, but I think it helps when you... Um, just prove that you can do it anyway and use it as a reference experience. Sometimes I think back to a moment when I had these doubts, but I did something anyway and it turned out great. And I'll just remind myself that, look, I had, I'm in the same situation I was back then, but you know, I, I did something and everything worked out fine. So I might as well just, just do this. You know? Yeah, I think that's uh, a couple of powerful things that you said there. Um, first of all, about this idea of going back in your life and look, looking at uh, past experiences and things that have happened and um, really drawing the lessons from them. Like one of the exercises that I, that I do often with clients is to uh, look back on your life and think about all the, you know, what your greatest strengths are and what stories, what incidences, what experiences, what episodes went on uh, for that to be, for your strength to be um, expressed in your life. Um, because I feel like Often, as as kind of forward leaning creatures or future focused creatures, we, we, you know, we're always looking at the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and what's next, what's around the next corner. But I think there's value in consciously and and in a, and in a sort of present way going into the past and saying, well, this is the lesson that I learned from that. This is what happened when I did this, and uh, really turning that into uh, strengths uh, that that we can recognize in ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that two things that really help, um, I, whenever I'm, I'm like about to take on something and I'm, I'm not sure whether I can do it, I'll, I'll take like a sheet of paper out and I'll just write down all the reasons why I can do it. And um, then I'll focus on my strengths and then I'll say, look, I'll use my strengths to uh, be successful at this. And I really don't want to have any of those doubts, you know, take hold and be able to hold me back. And I also, the second thing I try to do is I try to look at any uh, circumstance that, you know, someone might perceive as a disadvantage and try to look at that as an advantage. Um, so, you know, <laughs> you could look at, at one thing and then you could translate it, you know, in a way that disempowers you or you could do it in a way that empowers you. Um, sure. and, and so I, I do those things a lot and that really helps me to accomplish a lot more. Yeah, I love that. I love that concept, man. So I, yeah, I guess I call that reframing, like, because reality, there, there is no such thing as a, as a fixed reality. You know, it's just, you know, what one man's prison is a, is another man's paradise. Um, so 
you know, and, and we've we, we've both, uh, all of us have had the same situation where we've um, gone to a bar or gone to a party or something, and because of our attitude, it's it's like a hellish situation. But yet, there's people there who are just having the best time ever, and vice versa. Um, so yeah, I think that that reframing is a, is a powerful lesson there. That's awesome. Yeah, and um, you know, a few episodes ago, you interviewed Justin Alexander, and he gives the example where. Um, you know, he goes out into the wilderness and he puts himself in these tough situations and that really hardens him is what he said, you know. So other people might look at that like, oh, my God, I, I could never do that. You know, that that seems horrible. Like I would suffer if I had to, you know, sleep on a rooftop and create a fire to, you know, keep warm. But, um, you know, he does that as like a, a way to come of age, to um, refine himself as a man. And... Um, if you look at it that way, I mean, any challenge that you, you deal with in your life, if you're if you look at it through a stoicist lens, for example, I mean, if someone's rude to you or mean to you and you say, well, I'm really grateful for that experience because this person's teaching me compassion or teaching me patience, and these are values that I, I really need that are really important to me. And, and that way you can take like a negative event and say, look, this is really positive and I'm, I'm really glad for the chance to, to grow from this. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's a fundamental part of uh, growth, I feel, is, is that conscious choice to, to reframe and to see that any value judgment, good, bad, horrible, pleasurable, they're all just, they're all just perceptions, you know, and you can really choose how, how you're going to reframe something in your life. That's cool. So, so Danny, can you give us a little bit of uh, background into the type of business uh, that you're engaged in? Yeah, sure. So um, I graduated from university around 2009, and um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, so I kind of fumbled my way through it, and um, I just started working with clients. Uh, I was doing advertising services. I'd start doing graphic design and web design, marketing, uh, online marketing. And um, about three years into that business, I turned it into a really profitable agency. And um, I was able to travel the world. I was working maybe like two or three hours a day and uh, living in you know, South America or Asia. And um, it was awesome. You know, I was doing all these cool things around the globe, but I got really bored with that work. And, um, and like, I, you know, in true, true style, like, like we were just talking about, I said, you know, what's, what's the next big thing? I've accomplished all these goals. What's the next thing? And then I decided to want to write a book and um, kind of share a lot of things I've learned. And, um, and now I've written, I've just published my sixth book. So I've written five books, um, and four of them are, are on hacks, which are kind of like ways to, um, to gain leverage in your life and your business. And um, I guess it's kind of like, you know, peak performance related. You know, if, if you want to be exceptional, um, not doing what uh, the mass mentality, doing what the herd does, and finding a way to, to stand out, be different. Wow, man. So I'm just looking at some of the books that you've written. Um, so, <laughs> so hack sleep, hack Upwork, uh, hack email, hack your mind to become bulletproof, and then buy your own island. So, so is buy your own island, was that the one that kick-started it all? Or is that a more recent one? Yeah, that was my first book. And I published that in uh, January of 2015. And... Uh, before I published that book, I had never made a dollar online. You know, I, I never sold any products online. And um, I still had a lot of doubt, a lot of apprehension about whether I could actually do it. And, um, and, and, and so now I've, I've published uh, six books, 
five that I've written myself, and um, I published an online course. I've published uh, uh, different business packages, uh, webinars. I've done a lot of different things in the last year, and but it all started with that that first baby step. That was writing that book, and that book was a monstrosity. I mean, it was 323 pages. Like I, I really labored through it. Um, so it, it wasn't easy, you know, publishing my first book, uh, but it does, you know, get easier and easier. And I think it's just about hitting the ground running and then you just you take off until you can start to fly, I guess. Wow, man. So how did you go about hmm. being going from unpo- like someone who's never written a book to someone who decides I'm going to write a book? Like what did you have uh, coaching? Did you read books on how to write a book or did you just dive straight in? Uh, I tried, but you know, honestly, none of that stuff can really help you. Um, you just have to dive in. <laughs> and um, I wasn't even really a writer when I started writing this book. I was, um, I think, I was in Bangkok at the time, and I, I, I just started writing by talking into my phone, you know, at the park. And then I would have somebody transcribe that, and you know, that that's how bad a writer I was. Like, I didn't even want to sit down on my laptop and type. I don't want to look in a document. Um, but then I, I think the book kind of really started when I was I was doing a motorcycle trip uh, across Vietnam and I was in Hanoi at some coffee shop on the side of the road and um, I just forced myself you know I just like I, I, I wanted it so badly that it just like it was a monkey on my back like I just like you know Danny just a reminder you have to start writing this book and so you know I just kept that there and I just kept plugging away at it eventually uh, eventually I completed it but you know there was definitely some stumbling blocks along the way it wasn't easy. Um, but I like to tell people, you know, in that book, I actually mentioned an analogy where I say, um, you know, if you want to go in a new direction, you have to realize that there's going to be a lot of effort, you know, a lot of struggle in the beginning. It's like a rocket ship. Um, you know, when it first defies gravity, it has to use about 90% of its energy. But once it's in orbit, then it becomes more and more effortless. So once you have that forward motion going, um, it does get easier. But you have to power through that and realize um, the start, you know, could be quite hellish because you're not used to, to doing this. Yeah, it's a good analogy, man. So, at what stage is what's the equivalent of of breaking, you know, out of the atmosphere and getting into space where you're kind of just there's no gravity? Like, at what point in your book writing process did you feel did it feel like kind of like it was flowing or effortless? <laughs> um, you know, it, it's it took me a couple of years to really become a good writer. You know, I, I'm not going to say that I was a great writer in the beginning, um, but I did learn how to kind of refine my habits. Um, how to, to outline. I actually wrote a post um, for uh, Sean Ogle for Location 180 about um, how to create massive amounts of content. And um, I, I can actually pull that up uh, real quick here. Uh, but it's, it's just like disciplines that I've learned. So, you know, I try to, to write. I mean, I can easily write like 2,000 words uh, before I had breakfast now. Uh, but back when I started, I mean, I, I put like a minimum goal of like 200 words for a whole day. Uh, but I realized that, you know, like part of just getting the workout is that you have to turn that doubting mind off. You have to not uh, critique yourself. You know, you don't have to worry about finding the perfect word. You just have to worry about uh, getting it out of your system. And, um, you know, like if I have a thought, I'll just take a quick note in my document and then I'll just I'll fill it out and I'll outline and I'll just, I'll just let everything flow out, and I won't edit anything. I won't you know, doubt anything, and I'll do that later. Um, but it's, it's really just about you're so engaged in what you're doing. You're so consumed by your topic, and you just let it all – just pour it all on the page. Mm. I love that, man. I love that. Um, 
I love how you talk about how you could churn out, you taught yourself how to churn out 2,000 words before breakfast. And the number one thing in doing that was to uh, turn off, turn the doubting mind off. And um, that's interesting because my philosophy on flow is that flow is this, is this is is what is the default state it's what is always available to be to be tuned into except that we have these blockages to that the number one thing being the self critique or the thinking mind um and other things being distractions and stuff like that so so what what habits did you form to to go from a 200 word an hour writer to someone who can pump out thousands of words well a couple of things that are really key are um one, you have to realize how your own energy works and your willpower. Uh, so I'm really big on this you know, circadian rhythm, and um, I really researched that thoroughly in my book, Hack Sleep. And um, if you understand how the circadian rhythm works, like you know when your peak hours are. Um, so usually like your highest alertness is around 10 a.m., mid-morning, and um, your lowest alertness during the day is around 3 p.m. So you know, I try to look at my energy is like ebbing and flowing. It's never staying the same. Uh, but a lot of people think that, you know, they, they need to push, 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 push. But you don't need to know when to step back. And so um, whenever I'm in, like, I call that like a level one state where I can do my highest priority tasks where I'm just kind of completely in the zone. Um, I really want to try to take advantage of that to its utmost uh, by doing things like writing. I don't want to spend that time, you know, like reading messages on Facebook or browsing photos. Um, when I'm in that zone, I need to use that time. And, and I think understanding the circadian rhythm is really key to that. And the other thing I mentioned is, um, is willpower. Um, I mean, wait, wait, so, so go, wait, going back to the circadian rhythm. So there's things like, um, like right, the first thing when I wake up, you know, I want to expose myself to light. I want to wake my brain up. Uh, I want to get light entering through my eyes because that releases serotonin in the brain, improves energy, improves my mood. Um, I want to increase my body temperature by a little bit, so I take uh, two tablespoons of coconut oil. Uh, that increases your body temperature during the day. I feel like I get more energy from that as well. Um, and then I'll do other things when I want to wind down. You know, like um, I, I will eat pineapple around 5 p.m. because it increases your melatonin production when you sleep. Um, so, so getting quality sleep is very important. And the other thing I mentioned is um, willpower. And I think that uh, when you're in a high energy state, you obviously have more of willpower. Your, your willpower is at the highest in the morning. For, for most people. And um, I try to eat uh, a lot of uh, lean proteins, low uh, foods with a low glycemic index because they provide more sustained energy throughout the day. Uh, there was actually an experiment that was done that showed that um, the foods that students ate affected their test scores. And um, so I try to eat a lot of like, you know, lean proteins, um, try to stay away from sugar, a lot of vegetables, uh, and I also try to make sure I eat oxygen-rich foods to um, increase oxygen flow to my cells and, and you know, have high performance that way as well. So what's an oxygen-rich food? Uh, oxygen-rich foods are, you know, like fruits, vegetables. Um, I, you know, so, so you can also supplement your hemo, excuse me, hemoglobin levels with iron, uh, vitamin C, folic acid, um, things like this, you know, because they, they do studies of ultra-performance athletes, and um, they really train themselves well to... Uh, deliver oxygen to their cells. So I think that the more efficiently you transport oxygen, uh, the better you can perform and maintain at a high high level. That's really interesting, man. So I love that. <laughs> I love that. Like I, uh, ever since reading the Four Hour Work Week years ago uh, by Tim Ferriss, I got fascinated by this idea of 
using optimal periods of productivity and focus to do the most uh, challenging or creative types of work. And um, it's, you know, it obviously runs counter to the, you know, the corporate world that I spent 10 years in where you just sort of like, you know, there's, 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 there's no such wisdom there. Um, but I find that right. really interesting. So what, what does your calendar look like? Do you literally have like um, times, times per day? Like is that zone from 10 a.m.? Is that like almost like sacred creativity time? Well, first of all, I say that, you know, I think this concept of flow, I think it's the most important um, hack for anyone, really. Um, you know, any any entrepreneur or just personally, you know, I think that that flow, once you understand flow and how it works, I think that's the most important hack. Um, and because, you know, I think that most people are really, I think in our society, especially men, I mean, judged by how competent we are and how, how we're able to produce. And that's really important to me. So you ask me, like, what do I do? Like, I, I often, you know, audit myself. Like, I, I say, like, when I wake up, how did I sleep last night? You know, and I just see, like, I divide, you know, where I'm at, you know, mentally and physically into different states. And I divide up my work that way. So there's, there's some kinds of work that um, I don't really need to be in a flow state to do. So I'll, I'll say that for later. And then I'll have, like, my level one stuff, my highest priority stuff when I'm really in the zone, you know, and I, I really focus on that. So um, level two stuff, you know, or level three stuff, like, you know, social media management, you know, maybe like adding photos to blog posts and publishing blog posts, um, maybe just writing an outline that I'll write the next morning. You know, I can write an outline for an article that I don't really need to be in a flow state for that. Uh, but then I'll, I'll prepare it so that when I wake up the next morning, um, I'm ready to go. And, um, you know, some people like, uh, I want to the guy who wrote uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul, uh, I think Jack Canfield is his name. Jack Canfield. Uh, yeah, so, so he mentioned the hack where he says, like, um, he'll, think about, he'll think about what he wants to do in the morning uh, before he goes to bed. You know? So he'll, uh, he'll transmit conscious thoughts to his unconscious mind. And when you're sleeping, you know, you're, your brain really kind of is free to, like, really explore these ideas and come up with creative solutions to the problem. And that, that way you're able to hit the ground running when you wake up next morning. Absolutely, and that's something that uh, something that I've been doing for a, for a long time is having these uh, deeply mindful showers in the evening, where you, um, you 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 employ your conscious mind to draw out all the wonderful things and all the all the wins that you've had during the day, and you start turning your your, your unconscious mind to, to you know you start programming your unconscious in a sense um, and directing it, and that's that, that's awesome. And so, do you actually have like yeah. level one, level two, level three? tasks that are divided in a in a formalized way yeah i do actually i mean that's um <laughs> i have it written in my, my notebook here uh so i, I can actually pull that out <laughs> but yeah so i mean like i, I just level three tasks is something that like just uh, just like road activity that just requires like a pulse perhaps and yeah. um you know for me like level two stuff is just like stuff that's just not a high priority um not like editing podcasts, for example, like I edit podcasts in GarageBand, but I've done it so many times that I don't really need to like think about it too much. You know, I just need to, you know, edit this, edit that, um, you know, uh, send it to iTunes and then publish it on my website. Like I don't really need to come up with something new. I don't need to come up with something really creative. And um, I think something that helps you to kind of uh, put a framework on this is something called the Kynefin framework. It's uh, C-Y-N... E-F-I-N, I want to say. 
And um, what it does is it breaks down work into four different quadrants. And I like to think of, you know, level one work, the stuff that I want to be in the flow state for is it's in the fourth quadrant and that's chaotic work. And with chaotic work, there's really no blueprint. Uh, there's anything or anything that can prepare you for it. You know, the other kinds of work, like simple work and you can go to school to learn these kinds of things. Right, right, right. Okay, interesting. But couldn't, what about if you could design your life so that you only had level one tasks? Like, what if you could outsource all the level three tasks and, you know, maybe just do the level one, level two tasks? That's, that's what I'm trying to get to right now, actually. It's funny <laughs> that you mentioned that because I'm, I'm trying to find someone that I can train uh, to do all my social media stuff, for example. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to build like a really big following on Instagram because I'm publishing a magazine and, um, that's a great way to get readers, but I have to do things like I have to use these apps, you know, I have to follow people, I have to follow back people and it's just, I, I don't have time to manage this kind of stuff and I have to like prepare images to post on Instagram. Um, so I, I do want to kind of find someone to do that. Uh, but at the same time, I want to be able to, to kind of train them personally uh, I don't want to just try to find someone from like a site like Upwork or something like that. So I, I am at that stage where I do want to to outsource that. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. And you should be outsourcing yeah. your podcast editing as well, unless unless you love it, um, because that 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 stuff is definitely outsourceable, isn't it? It's it's just about trying to find someone that you can really trust. You know, yeah, of course. so for the for the moment, I'm I'm content with with doing it. Um, you know, now because I have a pretty good system worked out. But yes, I do need to to scale up if I I do need to 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 evolve in that process for sure. Cool, man. So talk to me about why why this is your life. Like, obviously, you you grew up in the states, um, and I'm sure that you've got a large proportion of your friends and family who live a more standard life, perhaps working a nine to five and um, putting money into their retirement fund. Um, but you've obviously consciously chosen a different route. Um, why, why do you feel that is? Well, I guess I was quite lucky um, in the sense that my, my father was an entrepreneur and um, I never really had any role model who was like uh, working in an office or anything like this. And, you know, ever since I was like nine years old, my, my father kind of trained me to uh, go knocking on our neighbor's doors and offer to uh, take out their trash because we live in this condo complex. And... Um, and then after that, like there was this game called uh, Pogs, which was like a, it came out of Hawaii. It was like a, a fad back in the day. And uh, we created like our Pog, own Pog business when we were like 11, me and my friend. Um, so I guess I just kind of was uh, trained to be an entrepreneur early on. And um, I don't know, man, like the more I grew up, the more I kind of felt like I was distancing myself from uh, everyone else. You know, I, I feel like, um, especially when I was in high school and everyone's like, preparing to get into a great university like I just feel like there was all this hype around it and you know if you got into like a top school like suddenly you're like a superstar and I was like why well, I don't even really know what I want to do about my life I don't really feel excited about anything uh so you know why should I do this and so I, I tried out a bunch of stuff when I became an adult like I was a I was a high school wrestling coach I was a taekwondo instructor I, I joined the military uh, for a couple of years I um you know, I went to art school. I, I just tried everything to kind of see what would fit. And in retrospect, you know, I, I had no idea what I was doing, but I think it's a great model to follow because, um, you know, whenever you try to attach yourself to any like certain life script, I think it's very dangerous. And I think it's more important to kind of be like a theoretician and uh, always experiment, always be analytical. 
And then when you find a groove that works for you, then you, you have a great opportunity. Cool, man. Really cool. So <laughs> you, uh, you obviously made uh, conscious choices to just go with the flow, I guess, with your life and, and see where it would take you. And um, it seems to have taken you down this route of, of, of writing books and having a podcast and being a, uh, someone who spends a lot of time traveling, going on adventures, um, learning about your own comfort zone. And then what I love is that you, you know, just this research and exploration that you do into these topics that interest you, which you then turn into books and into courses. Uh, t- talk to me more about, about the, I, I guess, the, the monetization side of, of how you've turned this lifestyle into a business. Like what actually makes you, the, what actually drives your revenue? Yeah, sure. So going back, I mean, I've had two really dark times in my life, and they were both, they both coincided at the time when I was starting a new business. <laughs> um, so when I started my first advertising business, uh, I, I was like couch surfing in my cousin's uh, apartment, you know, and I had like barely enough money to, to buy like frozen foods and stuff like this. And I invested um, like $500 in some internet marketing course. And it was actually like, I had to make six payments, you know, each month. Uh, a payment a month, um, so it was like $3,500, and I, I couldn't afford the subsequent payments, but um, I just took a chance, and, um, you know, eventually I just kind of got that momentum going, and then I think that, you know, the first year, the first two years of a business uh, are really a slog, you know, and it's really hard to, especially the first year, it's really hard to survive, uh, you don't have any clients established, um, but then you get better, you understand your processes better, uh, people start to take notice of you, and then opportunities start to come your way. And so the second time that I um, was in this dark period was when I, I got bored of that first business and then I changed careers. I became a writer and then I had to you know, start from scratch again. And a lot of the things I do today, like I'm, I feel like I'm entering the first day of kindergarten again because I have to learn something completely new that I have no, know nothing about. Um, but that's why one thing that drew me to you, Jero, is because you did a podcast with uh, Derek Loudermilk, which uh, was how to increase your learning by 300%. And... Um, I think that learning how to learn is is probably the most valuable skill that you can have. And um, so with where I'm at today is uh, I do a lot of things. Like I'm willing to – I'm always learning something new. I'm always willing to try something. And I think that I, I have a better mindset than I had when I was younger where I was uh, a little bit more doubtful. I had more of a scarcity mindset that things would – I felt that maybe things wouldn't work, that I need to be careful. And now it's like, you know, I just want to – if I have an idea, I just want to get it out there in the shortest amount of time possible. You know, I'll, I'll create a, a landing page or something, and um, you know, like I have an idea to do like a self-publishing webinar for authors, and I'll, I'll create a, a landing page while I'm having lunch or something, and then I'll go on Facebook in the afternoon and I'll say like, hey, you know, any authors here, uh, you know, want to take this webinar? It's 150 dollars, you know, and we'll just do a trial run, and then I'll get like you know six, seven people to sign up, and then I, I know I have something there. Uh, but I think that mindset is really important, is just be willing to try stuff. And just implement in the fastest amount of time possible. And I think that it's the, there's no barrier to entry. I mean, you don't lose anything if things don't work. So you might as well just put something out there and, and just you know get feedback and see if the market digs it or not. Yeah, man, I, that's that's really awesome. So that <laughs> philosophy right there about failing forward and and being being very agile and nimble and just getting something to market as soon as possible. That's obviously the whole lean up, lean startup methodology um, that is so. Uh, looked upon so favorably in Silicon Valley. Um, I just, right. my last podcast was, was uh, with a, a guy called Nick Dorr. Um, have a listen if, if you haven't already. It's, it's awesome. But we talk about failure. He's an elite 
uh, athlete, um, among many other things. But he talks about how failure is completely misunderstood in our culture. Um, and he says that failure is a diagnostic tool. And it's just a point on an ever-continuing continu- uh, spiral or continuum. And at no, when we fail at something, whether or not the webinar flops or the book doesn't sell, or any, like nothing in our biology or nothing in the world out there like stops. Like it's not the sun doesn't doesn't stop setting, our blood, our, our heart doesn't stop pulsing, we don't stop breathing. So this sort of like failure point is a completely artificial and arbitrary invention of our mind. Um, and exactly. <laughs> whereas we, we instead we can choose to look at it as a diagnostic tool, so like a feedback mechanism, right? It's just like, okay, this didn't work. I need to change this. That, that sucked. I'll learn from this, and then we we just move on. And it's just, it's just such a, and, that, and that's obviously what you've done. You know, that's that's why you've been able to just uh, move ahead with new projects and in a way that that a lot of other people would be like, oh, no, I don't even want to start that because if I fuck it up, then I'm gonna, it's going to cause me all sorts of pain and insecurity and all sorts of stuff. But you've hacked, um, I guess, failure in a sense. Yeah, you've hacked failure. You know, Jiro, like failure is not even a part of my vocabulary. I mean, if, if something doesn't go the way I expected, I mean, I look at it as like a learning experience. I look at it as a challenge. Um, but the way that I frame failure is I say that um, if I try anything, and um, if I give it my best and I learn something, if I meet those two requirements, then it's not a failure. You know, it's, it's a smashing success because mm. I'm becoming smarter. I'm becoming uh, more experienced. I'm, I'm learning on the, you know, learning, I'm failing forward. So I'm learning as I go and I'm getting better and better and better. I'm going to become a better entrepreneur every day because I'm, I'm taking these, these challenges. I'm taking these on. And even if, you know, I don't have a best-selling book, well, hell, I sold, you know, 2,000 copies are still pretty pretty decent, and uh, you know I helped a lot of people, and so it's just about how you frame things and how you look at um, you know any challenge and say that it's a good thing. And I think it's really important that people understand this because nobody really likes to admit that their beliefs might be what are holding them back. So if if you have someone who's in this locked in this mindset mm. of scarcity, a debilitating mindset. And I get these emails from people all the time, you know, it's like, help me fix my life. These people write to me. Really? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, first you need to do some surgery on the way you look at things. Like this guy wrote me this long novel via email how, saying how like there's, you know, no opportunities unless you're like being dishonest or duping people or stuff like this. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I can show you all these examples of, you know, people who are succeeding. They're not duping anyone. Uh, wow. What a story he's chosen to tell himself. These narratives are so disempowering, you know, and um, I talk to people like on my podcast and, uh, you know, like you just have to keep doing implementing like I, I, I interviewed a six figure author and he's published more than 30 books on Amazon, you know, in two years. So it's not really about finding that perfect idea or that perfect vehicle. It's about the driver and just chipping away until, you know, your success becomes inevitable. Like if you if this guy published 30 books <laughs> To become a six-figure author, like you know, it's about him. He was the the common denominator and all that that made him successful. Yeah, man. Yeah, awesome. So, what? Talk to me about what adventure means to you. I, I know that you and I were both on on Derek uh, Loudermilk's awesome podcast, The Art of Adventure, which uh, everyone should go check out. But what what is adventure? I know this is a Derek question, um, so I credit Derek for this question. But what is uh, what does adventure mean to you? Honestly, like, you know, I read a lot about travel and these things, but I, I'm not really a travel blogger. 
uh, I look at the world as a canvas, you know, or I, I look at the world as, um, oh God, it's, it's not like dots and points on the map, you know, it's people, it's places, it's experiences, and I want to be able to absorb them all, you know, I want to be able to get out and see the world, uh, see what it has to offer me, find my place in it, uh, and the way that, you know, like the world has its effect on me, I keep growing, I keep evolving, I keep learning about who I am as a person, mm-hmm. And I think that, that travel, adventure, it's the ultimate learning experience. It's the ultimate coming of age experience. Mm. And everyone needs to, to have like an epic uh, adventure or an epic trip in their life. And this is something that's been necessary in human culture for thousands of years. If you look at like tribal cultures, you know, like Sparta or something, um, you know, in order for the boy to become a man, there has to be that separation. They have to, he has to be taken from his mother and put out in the wilds. He has to learn how to hunt and fend for himself. And I think that you can't become like a whole range human. You can't become a real man if, uh, if you're not subjected to that, if you're not thrust out into that unknown element where you have to embrace it and run with the chaos. And I think that's the most empowering um, experience that you can subject yourself to. Yeah, man, I couldn't agree more, uh, which is why I'm launching a community a mastermind for entrepreneurs next month called the the flow state academy and it's basically this blend of entrepreneurship community but adventure adventure is this third element like taking people outside the office uh, outside wherever the whatever comfort zone they exist in and jumping off waterfalls going snowboarding in japan or spending time in the jungle or just having an adventure just like living life a little bit differently because i feel that's where the learning takes place. Like that's where accelerated growth really takes place in, in my life experience. And it sounds like for, for yours as well. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, bodybuilders call it uh, pushing past the pain period. That's where the growth occurs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you have to, you have to like, be, it has to be a struggle. You know, it has to be really challenging. And then that's, that's when you're going to see the growth. Okay, but, okay, so, but um, do you feel like you can grow without the pain and the struggle? Like the reason I asked this question, I've been, having, I've been philosophizing on this with, with one of my uh, entrepreneur coaching clients and we've been talking about how obviously pain and struggle can lead to profound growth. But what about pain and struggle without, sorry, what about profound growth without pain and struggle? Yeah, I definitely think it's possible. Um, but you have to find like, uh, I guess for me, um, when I was younger, I had different kind of motivation, you know, like I was really motivated to to prove myself, you know, to to improve my circumstances. So if I felt the pain, I was strongly motivated to to correct it, you know, to fix those problems. But I've kind of reached a point where I don't feel like I have anything to prove. Um, so I do need to, I, I mean, I have been looking for like new motivation. And um, I guess you, you don't really need to have that pain. I mean, you can happily achieve instead of achieving to needing to achieve to be happy or uh, to really like struggle, I guess. Um, but, but at the same time, I think that when you're most in that zone, when you're most in that state of flow is when you're in the ring, you know, when you're going 12 rounds with an opponent. Um, so I, I do think that, uh, you don't have to look at it as a struggle, but you should look at it as like in a performance, Mm. you know, like when I wake up in the morning, when I'm about to face my day, um, I want to challenge myself. I look at it as, you know, if I'm not challenging myself, then I'm, I don't feel satisfied with myself. Mm-hmm. So if you look at it as like a performance, I think um, I think the way to look at it, another healthy way to look at it is uh, going back to where I was talking about your energy ebbing and flowing. Uh, 
um, I think it's really important to like give, give your all in like a short period of time, you know, maybe for an hour and a half, for two hours, just be totally in the zone and then just totally focus, phase out for like an hour, for, you know, 45 minutes. Yeah. Uh, because like if you look at like sprinters, for example, um, like Michael Johnson or Usain Bolt, you know, they're, they have all this energy. They're really fired up, you know, they, they're dynamic. But if you look at marathon runners, like, you know, ultra marathon runners, like they look really gaunt, um, they're hollow, you know, they're more cold, you know. And so I think that if you if you break down your activity into like these sprints where you're giving 120 percent and you're really challenging yourself and then you allow yourself to like step back and then just, you know, celebrate your wins, I guess. Nice, man. Nice. That's awesome, Danny. <laughs> that's a, that's a great note to 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 finish on. So break sure. break it down into sprints. So look at your uh, whatever it is on your on your on your to do list, um, whatever projects you have, break them down into sprints of high intensity. And then take a break, and that really ties into this um, idea of the flow state cycle, uh, Danny. I'm not sure if you've you've read about this, but they say that flow is stage three on a four stage cycle. So stage one um, is really about struggle. That's like hitting brick walls, and you would that's writer's block. Um, and stage two is about releasing and that's when you walk away from the laptop you go to the beach you just don't think about writing and you just chill out and then that allows the change the shift and the growth to happen so that in stage three you can flow and then you do your flow it's intense you 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 hit goals and then you've got there's a recovery period before you begin that cycle again um so what you're saying there ties ties nicely into into that model yeah i first adopted this idea from uh Tony Schwartz, and he has a book called The Power of Full Engagement. Uh, so he says that managing energy, not time, is the key to high performance and personal renewal. Um, so that, that sprinter analogy, I actually borrowed from him. Awesome. <laughs> but his, yeah, his work is great and um, really provides a, a powerful lens for uh, looking at your, how you approach your activities, how you approach your work. Cool, man. Okay, so if anybody's listening to this, Danny, and uh, they are really interested in uh, the best of the best that you, uh, the nuggets that you can share in terms of peak performance, um, where where would you point them in terms of the products and, and books that that you've uh, that you've put out? Yeah, sure. So um, I highly recommend you check out my podcast at uh, openworldmag.com. And I also have a bunch of really cool articles on there. I, I did an experiment with polyphasic sleep where I was uh, sleeping four hours a night and uh, taking like 25, 30-minute naps uh, during the daytime. Uh, I have other articles where I, I tried to deliberately engineer a flow state by changing my environment. So I would go on like public transit and uh, start riding on a train, for example, like just going back and forth. Uh, and like just, just engineering flow state in different ways. Nice. And yeah. Um, and I have a lot of articles on there, but you know, feel free to reach out to me if uh, you have any questions. You can email me at uh, danny at openworldmag.com. And um, I can also offer my audiobook of Fire Your Own Island for free. Uh, it's fireyourownisland.com forward slash audio dash book. And perhaps you can put a link to that. Cool, man. Yeah, I'll definitely put a link to that. Thank you so much for being on the show, Danny. It's been a real pleasure to dive into um, some of these. Some of these are, I guess, more alternative ways to to look at uh, entrepreneurship and adventure and performance. It's been a it's been a real pleasure and a real insight to uh, to chat with you on these things. Yeah, thank you so much, Joe. It's been a real pleasure to connect with you as well, and um, really appreciate your work and what you're doing. And 
we're definitely uh, similarly aligned here. So I'm, I'm excited to see how far we can push uh, this awareness, this knowledge of, of flow and, and peak performance because I think it's very, very important. I agree with you, man. I'm with you 100%, brother. So, and let's, uh, let's leave this an open door. It'd be great to, uh, to have you on the podcast again um, in the future. We, I'm sure there's, there's so many different topics we can break this down into uh, that can help the listeners. And I uh, look forward to being on your podcast soon as well. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that, Joe. Thank you again. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Danny Flood. I think you can agree he's a pretty interesting guy. I love the way he talked about how he looks back on his life and draws out the, the, the strengths, the stories, the lessons uh, from that particular incident in his life. Um, and the way that someone might perceive something as a disadvantage or an advantage, but really it's about choosing uh, whether something in choosing a perspective that empowers you or disempowers you. Like this is the choice that we have. I think Viktor Frankl called it the last of the human freedoms the ability to choose your attitude in any given moment. And uh, that's, a, that's, a powerful, that's a powerful performance hack right there. I love the way Danny has also experimented with circadian rhythms, like figuring out when his optimal, optimal um, times to do certain tasks and how he's broken down his tasks into level one, level two, level three tasks. So he's only doing level one tasks when he is in an optimal state of performance and awareness. Now that right there is an important and powerful thing that you can everyone can put into their lives. Cool guys, uh, I look out for the notes uh, for all the all the books and all the resources that we mentioned in that podcast. I'll put show notes there and make sure you check out if you are an entrepreneur, if you are the founder of a company, check out theflowstateacademy.com. This is a global mastermind, a growth accelerator for founders which is which offers community adventure and peak performance coaching to a very special crew of startup entrepreneurs. Um, we've just been on an adventure to Hawaii. We've got more adventures coming up soon, and it's really a powerful way to grow and uh, really answer or respond to that type of loneliness that, uh, and isolation that can sometimes strike uh, startup founders and entrepreneurs. So if you're looking for your tribe, if you want to know how to perform at higher levels, if you want to have experiences, then check out the Flow State Academy. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential.